Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Now normally we do our scripture reading at this point, but we're actually going to pause on the scripture reading for a moment. We'll come back to it. So if you think, oh, you forgot the scripture reading, just hold tight. We'll get to it. But I actually want to begin by giving us a little primer, uh, an intro, before we get into our scripture this morning, uh, just of where we are, what we've been talking about, and how we're going to approach this gathering this morning. So if you have been with us the last few weeks, this is all just review, but if you're, if you're new with us or you haven't been around so far this fall, let me catch us all up so that we're all on the same page. We have been sitting with this invitation from Jesus from Matthew 11. In fact, it's uh, in the message paraphrase, it shows up as a fourfold invitation, Jesus offers four uh, separate things. If you'll go to the table image for me, Ethan, thank you. He says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me. Be with me. Abide in me. And we see that as a beckoning to a prayer-filled life. And so we spent the first few weeks of our time here at the Kalen Center thinking about that. What does a prayer-filled life look like? And we explored contemplative prayer and uh, other types of prayer. And then uh, we shifted to this idea of a deeply formed life in the image of Jesus, Jesus says, walk with me, walk with me, follow in the way that I'm traveling, get my dust kicked up upon you, keep company with me. And that's where we are currently, but just to forecast, then the third invitation, work with me. And we'll start looking at that next week. What does it look like to partner with Jesus in a kingdom-directed life, in our vocation, in our day jobs, in our work, in the way that we rest, in the way that we show up in the world for the sake of justice and peace and and the presence of God in our communities. And then finally, a spirit-dependent life. Jesus says, watch how I do it. Don't just do the things I do, but do them in the way that I do them. Do them with the same spirit, right? Which, of course, we are invited to do by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we want to have a spirit-dependent life, a discerning life, relying on the Father, relying on the Spirit. And so Jesus offers us these invitations, and uh, we have already looked at what it looks like to be with Jesus in a prayer-filled life. Now we're exploring what does it look like to become like Jesus through a deeply formed life. Last week, we talked about the two primary books God has given us to form us uh, into the image of Christ. And throughout the the centuries, uh, Christian fathers and mothers have used that phrase, the two great books, the book of scripture, but the second book God's given us is the book of nature or the book of creation. That as we look around at this beautiful world God has given us, something about who God is is embedded into creation itself. The seeds of the kingdom are littered throughout our world if we would have eyes to see it. This week, we're going to talk about something else that has a primary shaping influence on our life, and it's just that, the things that influence us. The atmospheres we're living in, the algorithms that uh, we are being fed, the, the things that we consume, the things that we are surrounded in. And if we remember all the way back to the first week of this series, we talked about this word liturgy, which means the work of the people. And a liturgy is any public or private pattern that shapes who and what we are becoming as people. In other words, a liturgy forms our spiritual formation. 
And, uh, and so we've all got these liturgies of our lives. During the pandemic, when the pandemic first started, I started eating Ben and Jerry's every night. I had not done that previously, but something about the nature of the world caused me to start eating ice cream regularly. And now I can't stop because the liturgies of our lives shape who and what we are becoming, right? And so it like, 8.30, the kids are finally down, it's time for coffee, coffee, buzz, buzz, which is a terrible Ben and Jerry's choice, by the way, at 8.30 at night. But I'm shaped by my liturgy, right? Uh, Americans consume 100,000 words a week. That's the equivalent of two books, but guess what? It's not the two books we talked about last week. It's a whole different kind of two books that most of us are consuming, right? Through memes, through blogs, through social media, through other kinds of inputs. And these things are subterraneally shaping our lives. The liturgies of our lives are, are made up of the environments we find ourselves in, the habits we have, the relationships we have, and collectively they tell us the stories of what is true. And they help shape us into who and what we are formed to love. And we look around our world right now and we see all of this division in our world and I think a lot of it has to do with the stories we believe about what is true and what we have been formed to love. And so this morning the questions are simple. What's the environment that my life has been marinating in? And uh, am I even aware of that? What am I meditating on? And whose stories are forming what I believe is true about the world? Whose stories are forming that? And this is at the core of our discipleship, that we might understand that there are these competing allegiances vying for the, the shaping of our lives. And so we want to be aware of that. Now, having said that, we're going to go to our scripture reading. So Sue's going to come forward. Uh, and uh, as Sue comes forward to lead us in this scripture reading from Psalm chapter 1, I want you to think about uh, this idea of the way of our lives as she reads this this morning. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is God's word for you. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sue. Appreciate that. So we see these two ways. The way of the wicked leads to destruction, but the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And it hearkens what we started this series with from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says this idea of like, there are two ways before you, and you may only take one of them. And he says, one way is narrow, but it leads to life. One is broad, but it leads to destruction. In fact, I almost wonder if Jesus is invoking Psalm 1 here uh, throughout Matthew 7. But what's clear is we've got these paths, 
And there is an awful lot in the Christian life that is complex, that is nuanced, that is uh, worth having deep conversation and discernment on. There are times it is not always clear. But the picture we have here is pretty clear, right? Like there are two ways that we can walk. And uh, there come moments in our lives where we have to say, what's the pathway that I am going to walk on? And what does it look like for me to hear the words of Jesus saying, I am the way that is true and that will lead you to life. It is true and it will lead you to life. And our distinctive work flows out of that distinctive way. Now, if we look deeper at Psalm 1, we see there's a, this progression that happens in, uh, in the text here. And so if you'll go to the next one for me, Ethan, we see that it starts with this idea that blessed is the one who does not walk in step or stand or sit. Does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of the mockers. Now, when we're walking, when we're in step, it's like we're on the journey, we're moving. And maybe I'm observing, maybe I'm exploring, maybe on my social media news feed, I'm checking out the different voices and what they have to say. Maybe I'm scrolling through the TV and I'm walking through the channels, so to speak. But then I find something that is interesting and I move out of observation and exploration mode and into, let me linger here for a minute. I found something that caught my eye. So now we're standing, right? And once we stand, we start to just take it in a little bit more. Now I've delayed my journey, I've delayed my progress, and I'm lingering around this thing. We use the word stand to speak not just of observation and exploration, but also of association and identification. We say things like, I stand with those who dot, 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 right? So we're saying like, there's something about this that like, yeah, I'm, I'm tying my ship to this. When we stand around something for an awful long time, eventually we get a little tired of standing, and we do this. (laughs) And this is gonna be here every Sunday from now on, because it is so comfortable. And we start to sit, right? When I'm eating my Ben and Jerry's at night, I'm sitting with it. (laughs) I'm very comfortable around it. And after we sit for a while, we've moved out of association and identification into stagnation and fixation. Like, I am taking whatever it is you are offering me at this point, and I'm being shaped by it, right? And so we find that we have begun to, like, be inhabited by the thing that at one point we were just passing by. And this passivity, this apathy settles in, and I begin to unquestioningly consume that which is offered to me. And uh, at that point, we have become like, it's like the life alert situation, right? Like, I have sat down and I cannot get up. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. If I'm walking, it's easy to change course. And if I'm standing, like, I can start moving again. But once we sit, it gets a lot harder to turn, which is what repentance means, to metanoia, to repent. I was going this way, but now I've turned and I'm coming back home again. Okay, then Psalm 1. There's this fascinating thing that happens even deeper in the text. If you go to the next one for me, it says, uh, specifically, blessed is the one who does not sit in the company of mockers. Now, the first two words that it says, you know, those who walk in step with the wicked stand in the way that sinners take, those are pretty generic words, like don't hang out with those who might be foolish or opposed to God. This third word's fascinating. Don't sit down 
in the company of mockers. It's the word lutz in Hebrew. Lutz means those who talk arrogantly, who interpret, and who counsel. And deeply embedded into the word is this idea of a shepherd or a teacher who has a yoke. And if you recall, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And the image that we have here is others who are wisely offering a different yoke, an alternative yoke to the yoke that Jesus has. And that yoke that the other voices who are interpreting life for us have, it begins to hook into us begins to secure us, and it changes the journey or the trail that we are walking. So the picture we're given here in Psalm 1 is that there are influencers or interpreters whose yoke hooks and snares us and causes us to walk a different path we would otherwise walk. We have a word for that in modern English, and the word is Instagram. <laughs> this, right, like, every time I go onto Instagram... I'm like literally there are people whose job is to be an Instagram influencer, right? Like I'm I'm signing up to be influenced. Now everywhere we go at all times we are signing up to be influenced. You coming here today, you have signed up to be influenced, uh, whether poorly or positively, uh, that is up to you. So the question is not to escape influence, the question is who and what is influencing me? Am I even aware of it? Right? And so from doom scrolling social media to Netflix to cable news to talk radio, we are being shaped. We are being shaped. And so I want to ask us this morning in the, in the vein of Psalm 1, is there anything that you're walking with? And you've got this deep voice inside, really subtle, really silent, just saying, like, that's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for you. Right? Um, is there anything that you're keeping company with? or that you're standing up for that is unworthy of the way of Jesus? And is there any place that you've started to sit in the company with, and it's time to notice that and name it and get up and turn away from that which malforms you back into the company where we sit with the rabbi whose way is true and leads to life? So, uh, that brings us back to some questions, and I'm going to have David come up here for a second. What we're going to do is just move into a kind of a, a time of practice where we're going to just try to think through how do we get out of this mode and into our actual like lives, the raw materials of our lives. And uh, so under your chairs, you have those cards, those connect cards on one side, but on the other side, they actually have some questions on them. And we're going we're gonna to just spend some time going inward and thinking about like how might we apply some of this I'm going to just lead us through these questions for a few minutes, and then I'm going to talk for a few minutes more, and then I'm going to lead us through round two of these questions. So buckle up um, as we do that. But uh, David's just going to play. And, you know, you have a pen down there. One thing we found during the first service is there is not enough time, there is not enough space to, like, really deeply engage the questions right now. My hope is that this will just spark something, that then later this week you pull out a journal or you sketch something you sit in prayer and you have a conversation with Jesus about this. And so we want to start by just assessing the algorithms of our lives. We want to audit the atmospheres of our lives. We want to eject from the echo chambers and escape the outrage feedback loops that we might turn our eyes back upon Jesus so that his story would be shaping what we're formed to love. And so I'm going to ask you this, uh, what habits, practices, or people most meaningfully and reliably shape me in the way 
Jesus. Think about where good fruit is in your life. And perhaps you want to lean in to that. Those things that the fruit of the Spirit shows up in, faithfulness and love and joy and peace and patience and so on. And then, who or what is regularly influencing me that is ideologically opposed to the way of Jesus? And what does it look like to bring awareness to that? Now, here's what I don't want you to hear is like eject from the world and anything that is not Christian. That's not what I'm saying. Because we are called to be in the world and we are called to be salt and light. We're called to show up in the world. But perhaps there are certain social media accounts. There are certain news sources. There are certain TV shows. There are certain habits They are like discipling me in an anti-Jesus way. Go ahead and list those now. Some things are not bad, but they are not helpful. And you may find that like every time I watch this or read that or experience this, what happens in me is not the fruit of peace, but the fruit of frustration or anger or us versus them thinking or futility or despair. Paul says this in Philippians 4.8. He says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So as we audit our atmospheres, that's what we're getting at here. And the last question for now. Am I well-connected to life-giving community that spurs faithful living in me? And if not, are there some practical steps I can take? You maybe can't do it all, but can you take some practical steps? All right, so those are the initial questions. I'll invite you to just continue reflecting on those uh, over this next week. But now I want to dive a little closer and look at COVID a little bit. And you can, you can stop, David, whenever you... I mean, you don't have to just stop, but you can just, you can just stop. If you, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about this pandemic we're going through as we kind of tend to our souls this morning. Thank you. Uh, and I want to share with us, I was reading about uh, Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor in the Baltimore area, and many of you know I'm doing doctoral work on Eugene Peterson. And I was reading a, a, a biography about him, 
And uh, what happened is he planted a church a couple years after the Cuban Missile Crisis. And as he planted a church in the midst of like a lot of fear of nuclear war and, uh, you know, uh, tensions at a geopolitical level, he saw that it started impacting the way Christians showed up in his church. And as I read this, I thought, this sounds a lot like where we are right now in our world. So I want to share this with you. I'm going to read the whole quote, but I'll especially zoom in on the, the end part. It says this, it says, though new to the pastorate, Eugene felt alarmed. He felt himself in the center of a great war. On the one side, the system of the world invoking ancient sins and deadly temptations disguised in new raiment, advertising, commingled with the intoxication of American security. A soft Christianity using all the right words but missing the profound revolutionary truth. And on the other side, and this is my hope for the parish, the community of Jesus, small, slow, honest, stumbling forward, suffering, close to the Christ they sought to follow through the desert of modern life. Nothing could have been more important than engaging this conflict, and then especially here I want to focus. As families poured into the suburbs, as families poured into Alpharetta and Johns Creek and Roswell and Milton in the midst of a time of difficulty, an obsession with safety fueled isolation and a basic compulsive self-centering. The response to fear or insecurity was not community solidarity or renewed peacemaking. It was to hunker, the least Christ-like posture possible. The bunkers formed by this mentality were certainly metaphorical, but they sometimes became literal physical extensions of the quiet fear pandemic. And as I think about the moment in time we find ourselves in right now, this, this line that, uh, there's, that, that when there is fear and insecurity around us, rather than move toward each other, it's like, wouldn't that be nice if our instinct was to move toward each other? Instead, what happens is like this, this hunkering, this hunkering. And I want to be really clear here. I'm not talking about the hunkering of like, quarantining from the disease of COVID-19. I'm not talking about those who are immunocompromised being prudent and why, like you all know, if you've been around the parish for a while, we take the pandemic seriously. I'm not at all suggesting like, oh, get out of isolation and just, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the isolation in our hearts that makes me pull away from you when I feel like I'm under threat and I feel like my life is under threat. It's the Edenic impulse. We take the fruit, we suddenly feel exposed and when we feel exposed, we hide, and we hunker, and we defend, and we begin to think that a global moment is all about us. And in the midst of it, the person next to us is doing the same thing, and we start bouncing off each other's surface layers. But beneath the surface, we've all got like deep rumbles of stuff going on in life right now. And what might it look like to see the other's deepest story, not their surface words? What might that look like? So I want to invite us to come out of the bunker. Our friends Adam and Sarah are here, uh, and Noah's here, the White family. The Whites moved to this beautiful uh, new house. If you can show the outside of that house for a minute. Yeah, beautiful new house. And uh, I promised that I wouldn't pick on them too much, but I can't be trusted. So uh, the Whites picked out this house intentionally for a unique feature. No, this is not true, what I'm about to say. But they do have a unique feature of their house uh, in Milton. Uh, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong in this, their house was the first house built in the county 
in the city with a bunker. <laughs> and inside their house on all six sides, not inside their house, but like beside their house, is a bunker built with a solid foot of concrete on all six sides. Uh, go to the next one for me. Yeah. So we all know where the whites are going to be if things get intense around here. So I would make sure you connect with them after the service so that you know that you have a place in the bunker. Uh, so the whites did not build the bunker. They just inherited the bunker. But I hope you set up like a really cool like shop down there, right? But I want us to think about this as like an image for a minute. And again, I'm not talking about our physical posture in the midst of a widespread disease. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what's going on in the heart. I'm talking about where I'm operating at fig leaf level. And I'm seeing the others as the problem. So we're going to end with time of journaling practice around this. And uh, David's going to play again. You can start again. <laughs> and uh, if you look down to that other section on your card, I want to offer us a chance to just look at the deep waters of our heart that we might emerge from the bunkers that keep us in scarcity mode and keep us in self-preservation mode. Right? Like at its core, the bunker is like saying, whatever happens to the world is okay as long as I'm okay in the bunker. And we want to we wanna come out of that mode. Right? So, so here's the first question. This is one I've been asking myself a lot lately. What do I fear COVID will take from my fragile life? What is the story I am telling myself? And the word COVID, there's probably not the right word. I should have changed that. Let's use the word pandemic instead, because this isn't about the disease of COVID. It's about like the broader thing that's happening. And what do we fear that it may take from our fragile life? What are your fears around health? around work, around your finances, your children, the state of our society. And then the next question becomes like, what of that fear and fragility is actually true? Because we need to be honest about the difficulties of this. Uh, what's not helpful and what I don't want you to hear me saying is like, just have faith instead of fear. Because the reality is if we do that, we're only just pushing the fear a lot deeper in our hearts. And it will just kind of operate out of the surface or out of the shadow then. So instead, all my fears and doubts, they can all come too. And you bring them into the presence of Jesus. And if there's something to be afraid of or feel fragile about that is actually true, then the right response is not to deny that, but to grieve it and to entrust Jesus with it. What of that fear is influenced by ideologies that are unworthy of Jesus? 
Where are you responding to the voices of scarcity, self-preservation, or this subtle script that you think you deserve a life free of pain? Which of course I do too. I think that. How might you repent of the lesser gospels that are shaping you? And finally, uh, Richard Rohr reminds us that some things are not rational or irrational, they are transrational, which means like they are just in a whole other category. And things like suffering and death and pandemic, I think, fit that category. And when we try to make sense of them up here, we're left with either the choices of denying it or blaming somebody else for it. And we've got a lot of blaming the other side, whatever the other side means, that dualistic thinking. But if we can see it, these are the moments that actually offer us like the greatest teaching of all. And so our final question is this, what might Jesus be teaching you through this pandemic? if you have eyes to see it. Okay, so you can spend more time on those questions uh, if you find that to be fruitful. And what I'd like to do now is just move to our time of confession. Probably this stirs up stuff in all of us right? and, and stuff that would be good to bring to Jesus. So if you would, and as you're able, would you stand? Let's approach this table by confessing our sins against God and our neighbor. Say this aloud with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And may almighty God have mercy on you, forgive you of all of your sins, Forgive us of all of our sins, for all of us have gone astray. But now we are invited to return to the shepherd of our souls. Be at peace in the freeing, forgiving love of Jesus. Jesus.